Let me pray for us, um, and we'll begin with 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Father, I thank you for the morning. Um, it's, it's fun to see the changing of seasons, even though I'm sure that our uh, warm weather is not over. I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here again. Another Lord's Day with the body of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank you for your word, that it is alive and active, and that it speaks stronger than the voice of men. And I ask that you would please speak to us by your Holy Spirit through 1 Thessalonians. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 1 Thessalonians was written by the Apostle Paul to a vibrant yet baby church where the Holy Spirit was greatly at work. They were young. Paul had to leave Thessalonica abruptly before he was able to finish kind of uh, basic Christianity 101. And so he's writing the letter to encourage them, but also to instruct them on righteous living and doctrine, in particular, the hope that they have in the second coming of Christ. So we kind of went through introduction, what was going on, uh, Paul's second missionary journey, where he was leading up to Thessalonica and where he went afterwards, and some of the things that happened while he was there. So we're going to cover the whole first chapter. It's only 10 verses. Let me read it for us. And we'll move in. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. There are two sections in chapter one. There's this, this kind of beginning uh, prayer, which is in uh, verses 2 and 3. And then this, uh, from, from 4 to 10, is this uh, pretty beautiful description of what God is doing through the Thessalonians. So he's, he's beginning this letter in a very encouraging yet uh, worshipful way. <clears throat> we see three things in Paul's prayers to God for the Thessalonians. So in verse 2, we see he says, we give thanks to God. So he starts off with thanksgiving, always for you, constantly, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. That's the second piece. And then he says, remembering before our God and Father, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to mention a couple things about this, these prayers that Paul is offering to God on behalf of the Thessalonians. First of all, he gives thanks to God for the Thessalonians, all right, acknowledging that he is the one at work. Second of all, he prays for the Thessalonians to God on behalf of, uh, of the believers that are there. So he's petitioning God. He's imploring 
God. He's requesting of God on behalf of the Thessalonians. And then thirdly, he's remembering them. And when we look at remembering throughout the course of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, it's an act of worship. When, we, when you remember the things that God has done, it's an act of worship, and it's actually a command. That's one reason why we gather uh, on the Sabbath, so that we can remember together the gospel. That's one reason why we take the Lord's Supper, so that we can remember what, the, what Christ has done for us, specifically on the cross. Um, so he's offering thanks, he's beseeching the Lord, and he's remembering and worshiping God for the things that he's seeing from the Thessalonians. I'm going to kind of come back to that, but I want to move forward in verses 4 through 10. Verse 4 we see, he says, For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. You see that, verse 4? Because. This is where I want to camp for most of the morning. He says, we know. because we know he has chosen you because this is a pretty pretty big statement no matter where you're at theologically for Paul to make a statement to a group of believers Paul as a human can look at them and say that we know that he God the Father Almighty has chosen you because and then he explains himself it's really cool there are six things that we see in verses 4 to 10, uh, that show what Paul means when he says, because. So let's work through them here. We see in verse 5, the beginning of verse 5, he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. We see that Paul says that the gospel came to the Thessalonians not just because Paul audibly, verbally spoke words that were the gospel but it came in power it came in the holy spirit and it came in full conviction so the emphasis here is not in fact on paul uh, and it's not even on the ears of those that have heard but it's on the holy spirit i want to write a couple of these things down so the first thing we see here is the holy spirit verse 5a because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The emphasis is on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the second half of five <clears throat> says that you know what kind of men that we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and the Lord, and you, for you received the word in much affliction and with much joy. So the second thing is that Paul is acknowledging that they became imitators of us and of the Lord, you see in 5b. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, for you know what kind of men we proved to be among you. Verse 6, excuse me, I said 5b. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. And the Lord there is speaking of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, um, as I was studying this text and I was looking at what it meant to be an imitator of, I was trying to figure out where the emphasis of this statement was. Was the emphasis on them as Thessalonians because they were imitating? Or was the emphasis on Paul because it says that he became, uh, they became imitators of us 
and the Lord. So, so where's the emphasis? And here's, here's a, a, a very simple example that I came up with. First of all, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. All right, so Paul in this text is not, um, is not uh, lauding the Thessalonians to saying, hey, you're being like me. Awesome, great job. The emphasis here is that they are imitating Jesus Christ. Now, I greatly desire um, to be a good father. I mean, hopefully every father wants to be a, a good father. Um, I think that I had a pretty good father. My dad's name is David, David Beach. Right? My name is Daniel David Beach, named after my father. Um, so if you were to make a statement um, that said, Danny, you're an excellent father, the emphasis would be on how great I am, if, if, if that was the statement you were making. As opposed to saying, Danny, you are an, an excellent imitation of your father. Where's the emphasis there? It's on, it's on how great my father is, right? And so when you look in here and that there's, there's encouragement or there's praise in verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, the emphasis is really on how great the Lord is because they're, because they're, they're imitating him. So it's, so it's interesting as you work through this text, it, I kept wanting to say, because I read this so many times, and I kept wanting to say, but is Paul just spending all of his time encouraging the Thessalonians, encouraging the Thessalonians, look at all the things you're doing, look how you're doing this right, look at all that you're accomplishing. But every, every, every sentence, every verse seems to keep throwing it all back to God all back to the Holy Spirit, all back to Jesus, all back to God the Father. So when he says you became imitators of us and of the Lord, the emphasis is really on Jesus Christ. In verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Affliction received with the joy of the Holy Spirit. I read this week for the very first time, um, kind of a long story, but I think it proves a, it proves a good point. I have an uncle, a great uncle, who's alive, um, who in 1950, as a 14-year-old, heard war stories from my grandfather that he never told again and my grandfather has passed and my great uncle <clears throat> just recorded some of these stories and I read them <coughs> yesterday morning we have that just yesterday morning with like a gaping mouth um, because they're horrible they're horrifying it was it was some of the things that he experienced in combat, he was in the Battle of the Bulge, and um, tragic things that you can understand that somebody would not ever want to live through again. And there were, th I mean, I remember grandpa's grandpa, papa, you know, and so I remember white-haired, rocking chair, you know, guy, and I, I never heard the war stories. And to read these things about, about, about papa was, uh, it, it blew my mind, and it gave me a whole new appreciation for him as, I think legitimately a, a war hero. He got a Purple Heart, um, fought for freedom, kind of all the things that you look at in, in World War II. Now, reading these terrible stories and then reading the accounts of 
what we would call now post-traumatic stress disorder of, of waking up screaming in the night, standing on his bed, throwing himself on my grandmother, um, flailing like this, these terrible things that happened to him that I, I had no clue about because of his war experience. It was affliction for him. That's where I'm going. It was affliction for him, okay? Um, but there was, no, there was no way that he received that affliction uh, with joy, okay? In verse 6, you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So because we're humans, because we're in a fallen world, affliction is going to come to believers and non-believers, whether it's spiritual persecution or whether it's war or whether it's sickness or whether it's a jerk who's your boss at work, all right, or just poor relationships at home, because of sin and the, nat and the nature of man, we are going to be faced with affliction. So the fact that affliction happened isn't the emphasis of the statement. You receive the word in much affliction. Okay. Now what my grandfather did when he received the affliction of war, I would call that noble. He received it. He took it. He did what he needed to do at the time of crisis in a crazy point of history in the world to fight the evil Nazi powers and to protect freedom, all right? And I don't look down on him for, for understanding that it, it didn't happen in, with joy. But this is just an example. But when you look at the Thessalonians who received persecution, who received affliction, you look at the affliction that the apostle Paul Paul received, which is a pretty significant, and then you add the little statement on the end, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, it transitions this affliction to something that has now become supernatural, because it is not natural to receive joy, to receive affliction with joy. I think that you can be afflicted and do so nobly. Uh, but it's not, it's not with joy. But when you add the context of the gospel and you see the Apostle Paul, we read in, in Acts 16 and 17 last week how the Apostle Paul in Philippi was, was seized and he was beaten and he was, he was pulled to the town center and he was mocked and the magistrates tore their shirts open and they said, how dare you? And they threw him in prison and they, and they locked him up uh, because of the gospel. And then it says that he sang. He sang. You know, praise God from whom all blessings flow. I don't know if he sang that song. Um, <laughs> he might have sang, friends are friends forever. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so he was worshiping. Um, but that is supernatural. And I mean supernatural in the truest sense of the word supernatural. Not like superhero, but something that only happens when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you became imitators of us and of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the joy that came forth from your affliction. Affliction received with the joy of the Holy Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit is what makes this notable. Jump down to verse 8, if you would. It says, For not only has the word of the Lord 
sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So again, we see that the Thessalonians were affected by the Holy Spirit. They came to know Jesus Christ. Paul was forced out because of persecution and affliction. Yet their reputation uh, spread, not just what they did here, but very specifically it says that the word of the Lord sounded forth. Not your words, Thessalonians, but the word of the Lord sounded forth. So again, we see Jesus Christ being the emphasis of what's going on here. The fifth thing we see, the second half of verse 8, it says that your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, that their faith in God has gone forth, and we see that God here is God the Father. Because if you continue in verse 9, it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception that we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son. So first of all, we see emphatically that it is God the Father, but we see that this isn't just a matter of faith, but it is faith in God the Father. So the emphasis here is, their, not, is not just their faith, because it says that they had a faith previously, that they turned from idols. So they had a faith. They were doing things. They had a religion. But the emphasis here is that the fact that they did, in fact, have faith in God the Father, whom they serve. And then in verse 10, We see, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. To wait for Jesus makes Jesus Christ the emphasis. So it's not simply that they're waiting. It's not just sitting simply that they're, they're uh, twisting their thumbs. It's not simply that they're piddling around because who doesn't wait but they're waiting with hope they're waiting with steadfastness they're waiting with person with perseverance we see at paul's prayer at the beginning of the text look back to verse two he says when we thank, we give thanks to god always for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers and remembering before our god and father your work of faith all right faith in god the father your labor of love in your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in verse 10, um, at the end of every chapter of this book, there is always a, a, a shout-out or, at minimum, a nod to the second coming of Jesus Christ, which is one of the most encouraging texts in all of Scripture as it pertains to those that are believers that have died in Christ. We will see that when we get to the end of the book. But verse 10 uh, encourages... The Thessalonians, when it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who will deliver us from the wrath to come. So they're not just waiting, but they're waiting for Jesus to make his second return. So we see the body of the first chapter. Paul says that we know that he has chosen you because... I'm not adding this 
scripture here, all right? So if I were to summarize what Paul is saying in verses 4 to 10, as we just looked at here, when he says, we know that he has chosen you because, I would say that he would finish the statement by saying, we see the triune God. Some people would say, as I read several different commentators, and talk to different people about this text, that in, in a sense that this text could be looked at as a blueprint for, for conversion, um, that this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, that we know that he's chosen you because we see God in you. We don't just see things that you're doing. We don't just see good attitudes. We don't just see uh, works. We don't just see uh, scripture memory, but we see God. In all three forms, in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, we, we, we see him in you. And so we know. We know that you're a believer because of the things that we are seeing. Paul is able to encourage the Thessalonians in this letter by beginning the letter in such a way, um, by both acknowledging what's happening in their lives and in this small baby church in Thessalonica, but he's doing it in such clarity as he continues to draw all attention, even though there are good things happening, that we would call it Christian success, that they're living out their faith, they're living under affliction, that, that, that the word is spreading amongst the whole region to Macedonia, which is a region, in Achaia, that Paul's in, in, in Corinth, where he's writing this, he's saying the word is getting to us so we would call that, that Christian success, if you will. But all that Paul is saying here is all thrown back to God and, and really not the Thessalonians. The more truth that you add to any situation, the more clear that situation becomes. We know throughout the scope of Scripture that God is both good and beautiful. And the more clearly we can see his goodness, and the more clearly we can see his beauty, the more joy, and the more fervency, and the more peace, and the more rest, and the more confidence we will have, the more fulfillment we will have. At Connect on Thursday night, we looked at 2 Corinthians, chapters 3 and 4. I want to go back there. So 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Second Corinthians 3, 18. It says that, and we all, meaning believers in this context, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Once again, and we all, with an unveiled face, meaning the veil has been lifted, the light has been turned on, that there's been a supernatural working in your heart and in your mind and in your soul that allows you to see things that you could not otherwise see. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. That truth has been added to your conceptions 
and you are now able to behold the glory of the Lord in, in a way that you couldn't have otherwise, and you are being transformed. There's this continuation of sanctification. You are being transformed transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. So that we see the, the more clearly we can see Christ, the more clearly we can see God, the more we will become like his image, and the more we will be transformed. Um, when I was, I think, eight years old, my grandma and grandpa on my mom's side, they retired and uh, they moved to uh, an I a small, tiny island off the coast of Venezuela to work at this mission radio station. My grandpa had spent his career working for uh, Bell Phone Company, which, you know, decades ago was all you know wires and poles. You know, it wasn't it hadn't moved to the digital world yet, and so he kind of knew towers and generators and, 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 and cables and brought, I mean, he just kind of, that was his career. And so there was this, this uh, radio station that, that reached most of South America. And so they moved down there to, to, to serve on this little island called Bonaire. Um, and when I was eight, they um, helped my family come down for a visit for a week. So we went down. And this is below the Caribbean, all right? I was from I was from Fountain Inn, South Carolina, all right? And so I had never seen the picturesque deep blue water. You know what I'm talking about? We don't have it here, <laughs> okay? Um, that, that Caribbean feel. And this particular uh, string of islands was known for their snorkeling. Um, and so, you know, as an eight-year-old, who, who doesn't like to swim? So we went to the beach put on my goggles and put on my snorkel and would go, would go snorkeling. And this is before digital cameras. So we had like a waterproof film camera, you know? <laughs> um, I don't know how big it was, but my mom and dad had it. And I, I, what I remember is, is just swimming around um, and these beaches were uh, laden with uh, dead pieces of coral sticks, basically, white. Um, it wasn't real sandy, and I thought that they looked like knives, you know, and as a boy, you know, who's angsty, I guess. You know, I would be swimming around, I'd find one of these things and just kind of stab the chunks of coral all around. Um, and would just kind of play in my own little imagination, you know, war or whatever. I still do that sometimes. <laughs> um, in the backyard, you know. Aren't you supposed to be mowing, Danny? Just <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I love being a boy. And so um, sometimes I use Evie as a machine gun. You know? um, and so, you know, my mom, you know, being the good, good mom, you know, got all these pictures developed and put them in a photo album to collect dust, you know. And so as I've grown and as I've matured, I've gone back and looked at those pictures. And there was a point in my life <clears throat> when I was into aquariums, you know. Um, and it, what it did was it gave me a, a, an eye of, this stuff's expensive. 
you know? And I didn't have a saltwater aquarium because I knew that stuff was way out of my league. Um, but I, as I went back as a more mature person and looked at the pictures, that's when I saw the blue water. When I looked at the pictures, that's when I saw these coral reefs that were exploding in color. And when I went back and looked at the pictures is when I saw these, these, these vibrant, I mean, yellow fish and these electric blue fish that I, I didn't see as a kid. I saw the dead coral, you know? And so it took maturity for me to see the beauty. It took maturity for me to see the beauty. And so as we grow in Christ, we grow in our ability to worship. As we grow in Christ, we grow in our ability to see things more clearly and to be more and more in awe. And this is a baby church. This is a baby church. We see endlessly that young athletes that make bucos money, um, it gets to their head and it, and it really kind of sinks them in life. You know, because they're, they're just not mature, even though they're given something that many might call wonderful. And so Christians, even baby Christians, aren't excluded from this type of temptation. So imagine being a baby church, being a young believer, accepting the gospel in all of its awe, recognizing that you are, in fact, a sinner in need of a savior. And then what happens? Success. Growth, that, that word is spreading all over the region of what you're doing. It, 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 it's going to lead to pride, right? I mean, we see Christian leaders, we see successful Christian leaders fall all the time. And they're mature. And I think what Paul is doing here is, I don't think Paul is trying to teach them a lesson of like, hey, 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 be careful. You need to recognize what's really happening here. I think Paul is just mature. And in his encouragement, and in his, in a sense, lifting up of the Thessalonians, the good things that are happening, what he's really doing is he's just praising God. All praise to God for what he's doing. All praise to God for you. All praise to God for your affliction. All praise to God for your conversion. All praise to God for your reputation. All praise to God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because they're all working in this beautiful way through your life. And he is the one who ought to be lifted high and put on that shelf, that everybody who's hearing inklings of what's going on ought to first think of God first and not you, that it's your faith in God because you've turned from idols. So not just that you have turned away from the, the cult prostitutes, but that there is a God that we call God the Father who has a son that we call Jesus Christ that has done something very real and specific in your life, but he is the one who receives credit. He is the one that gets the attention. And we have to grow in order to really see that. You know, understanding that all that we have is from God. 
James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above. Recognizing that every good thing that you have is from God. And, and you know that and you've heard that verse before. But if you think about it in the context of Mark 12.30 that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we are supposed to be worshiping God with the things that he has given us. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That just because you have the ability to breathe air, that ability was given to you. Just because you have the ability to think logically and reason and get through college to get a degree, that ability was given to you. Just because you have a job, that job was given to you. You have a family, that family was given to you. You have relationships and friendships and connections, and those were given to you by God. That he is the one that is, in fact, working here. And we forget those things. And I'm not trying to over-spiritualize, over but we have to acknowledge that God is the giver, God is the creator, God is the sustainer of all of these things. He knows the beginning and the end. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he establishes our governing authorities everywhere that we go. And he leads your steps and, and crosses your paths. And he allows you to have success in some areas. And he allows you even to have failure in other areas. And he is even the God over affliction. Not that he aff afflicts us, but he is the God over affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. You want to flip there? We're going to spend a couple seconds here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Well, what treasure is he speaking of? Bump back to verse 6. He said, for God who let light shine out of darkness. All right, this is a direct quote and a direct connection to the very creation of the world. So the very God who existed eternally past is the one who introduced physical light into darkness. That darkness prevailed until he created something called light. That, that the concept of light itself is from God. And he is the one that brings light in that same way. Light, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So when you came to know Christ, if you are in fact a Christ follower, that is a light that God turned on. That you couldn't know those things about God. You couldn't know those things about yourself unless God first initiated, just like he initiated creation. I've been doing some house projects. Lauren has said I'm nesting. All right? I didn't know that. All right? But I'm you know, working around the house, getting ready, I guess. And we, I was putting a quarter round down you know, on the floor. And I have a chop saw. Now, I'm a hobbyist with wood. I, I, enjoy, I enjoy woodworking, but I'm not trained. I'm not a professional. And so I have this chop saw, and it chops this way. And you can swivel it so you can, you can chop at angles. All right, but you can also swivel the blade this way. You can chop at angles. All right, so I'm laying this quarter around, and I just wasn't getting the angles right. All right? I was laying the quarter around in the back corner of our house, and the chop saw was in the garage, which was in the front corner of the house. So every cut, I had to walk through the house back and forth, and, it would, and I was just getting it wrong over and over. I don't know how. I felt like an idiot because, like, you know, I'm cutting two angles this way, and they're supposed to be this way, or, you know, and, and, like, I was getting frustrated, and Lauren was picking up on it, and she's like, you okay? And I'm just like, ugh. And there was a point when I, I, I think I, I threw a piece, 
and just had to step back and just be like, how? Like, I, I think like, I, I'm not stupid, but I keep getting this wrong. <laughs> and I was getting frustrated. I was kind of on a time crunch. I would rather have been hanging with the family, but this needed to get done. And I just wasn't getting it. And I think I even told Lauren, I was like, there's just, I, I, I don't, I'm missing something. There's, I'm missing, this shouldn't be this hard. I'm not this dumb, but I can't, I can't get it. Even to the point where I was running out of quarter round. <laughs> you know, and you don't want to run out because you're, because you're making so many errors. And then, and, and, and eventually, in, in a split second, I realized that I was, I was using the turn blade and I should have been turning the swivel, all right? So I was, I was just using one piece of the saw wrong. And then I finished the project in like 30 minutes. And you could see in my work, you know, leading up to it, there's gaps, you know, and there's wrong angles. And I'm like, I'm just going to cough this thing, you know, and try to <laughs> cover up all these mistakes. And then it's fixed. And, I mean, it's a simple, silly, maybe even stupid example of how in this one little moment of woodworking, the light was turned on and it changed. Before I was angry, before I was frustrated, before I was getting it wrong, before things were messed up and things were um, – were, were just were just unclean and they were dirty and they it didn't really work but I just didn't know how to move on and then the light turned on and that's the way it is spiritually but the Holy Spirit is the one that turns it on in our dead hearts so there's an equation understanding that all that we have is from God relationally are your mental capacity, even your motivations, is all from God. And then adding the fact that all of your spiritual understanding is exclusively from God, that he is the only one that turns on the lights. And then understanding that God is God over all affliction. Back to 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this surpassing power or this light that has been turned on belongs to God and not to us. Because we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed or confused, but we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken or left alone. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, a.k.a. our lives. Understanding that all we have is from God, understanding that all spiritual understanding is from God, understanding that God is, the, is, is a God over all affliction, equals a humble, awe-inspired, righteously motivated, joy-filled life of passion and purpose. A humble, awe-inspired, righteously motivated, joy-filled life of passion and purpose. Who doesn't want to be there? As Christ followers, we need to take a step back, I believe, in our disciplines, as a discipline, 
and look at the comprehensive presence of God in every piece of our life. The good things, the bad things, the things that we don't naturally tie spiritual connections with. That we need to take a step back as a discipline and look at the comprehensive presence of God at work in every piece of our life. And to follow the example of Paul, he offers encouragement by praising God. He offers encouragement to believers by praising God, which we all agree that praising God is a good thing, but so often when we're trying to encourage each other, I think sometimes our encouragement can fall more into a uh, you focus instead of a God focus. I, um, in a moment of honesty, okay, how many of you, while texting, have ever texted PTL? Be honest. All right. Praise the Lord. Oh. All right. Okay. I mean, I figure if you didn't know, then you probably hadn't done it. You know, PTL. Praise the Lord. When I was younger, even as an adult, I would say in my college years, um, I had a, an unhealthy cynicism towards um, some – there were elements of – of some people's faith that I think in my sin and in my immaturity as a believer, I saw as cheesy. And I associated things like praise the Lord with grandma, you know, <laughs> praise the Lord, you know? <laughs> um, and there was a, I mean, I think there's a TB, TBN, TBS, TB, what's the, what's the TB, what? TBH. All right. The, Turner, not Turner, but Trinity Broadcasting. Uh, it's the religious, you know, and I think there was a show called Praise the Lord. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And it was, and it, and it, and it kind of had the televangelist, the kind of the money-grubbing televangelist reputation, and like the whole, so, and I remember finding myself not wanting to actually say the words Praise the Lord. Um, and, and where I'm going with all of this is as, as Lauren and I have walked through life, we have said that we want to, to continually verbally acknowledge the things that we see God doing in our life, whether they're big things or little things, little things like a good day together as a family, you know, to a blessed time together with friends at a Mexican restaurant, to... Um, the fact that our material needs are, are, are met, you know, um, the fact that we live in a beautiful place and acknowledging that, that God is the giver of those things and that I'm, I'm, I'm to be not only just kind of floatingly thankful, but intentionally thankful to the giver and not just sit, sitting here basking in the gift. And what that demands is that we continue to look to see God through the blessings of life. That we continue to see God through the afflictions in life. 
that we continue to see God through the things in life that we don't particularly tie spiritual connections to. Maybe the fact that you have enough money to pay your bills this month. Praise the Lord for that. You know? Or not. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that you have a community group. And that as we exist as a body of Christ, we are called to encourage each other. And how do we do that? We do it by acknowledging how we see the Lord working in each other's lives. Not just, hey, you're doing a good job, or good job loving them, but praise the Lord for doing a work in your life because it shows through how he's exalted. It shows how you love people. That we are, we are to encourage each other. That's not one of those things of like, hey, you know what would be a good idea? We are to. Well, how? How do we praise the Lord as we acknowledge other people in the body of Christ, in your community group, as we're hanging out at the Walking Progressive Dinner, as we do the retreat together, as we live life side by side, how do we praise the Lord together, acknowledging the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I think that as we look at 1 Thessalonians 1, and we see... Paul's opening prayer in verse 2 and 3 where the emphasis is on God. I give thanks to God. I mention you to God. I remember you to God. And then he encouraged the Thessalonians by all these really great things, but he ties every single one of them back to a person in the Trinity. I, we know that he has chosen you because, because we just see God in you. And he's giving praise and thanks and glory to God. Father, we thank you that you are gloriously triune. Father, that you um, have loved us. You've loved us first. You sent your only son Father, to live a perfect life, to die for our sins. And Father, he, by the power of God, defeated death ascended to your right hand and now intercedes for us that call you uh, Lord Father that he left the Holy Spirit to guide us to take residence in our hearts to live out our days until we meet you one day for eternity in heaven praise be to all that you have done and it's in Jesus name that we pray amen